Morning. Today we begin the book of Acts. Uh, as a church, we believe that the Bible uh, is breathed out by God. Uh, what that means is what God has done is he has used human authors um, to speak through, to communicate his truth to us. God took human men, human fallible men, and used their background. He used their education or lack thereof. Uh, he, he used them to communicate to us, and all of that was subject to his power, his authority. And so what we have in our hands, what we have, some of you on your phones, is the very word of God. Amen? This is God's word speaking to us. And so, if this really is God's word, then we should listen to it incredibly intently. Because if he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and he has spoken, it makes sense that we listen, right? So, at Gospel Community Church, what we seek to do is teach exegetically. Um, what that word means is to lead out from, meaning that we start where God's word starts and we just seek to say what it says because it is profitable for teaching and reproof and all of those things. We, we love the Bible here at this church. We believe it to be God's word and all we do is just seek to say what it says. Amen? So... Um, Exegetical preaching is not the only way to preach, but it's the way that we preach. Okay? So, so let us not sit in, in arrogance at other churches who don't preach this way, but, but this is the way we preach. So what we're going to be doing over the next year and some change is taking week by week, just going through the book of Acts. And we're going to be in it for a really long time. We're going to go verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter, just straight through the book. Now, we do that for, for a lot of reasons, okay? And, and so to start with this morning, what I want to do, I want to tell you those reasons. I, I don't want to just get into a tradition without any backing. Listen, traditions in the church are good, okay? We, we preach because people have been preaching for thousands of years. We sing songs because people have been singing. Traditions are good, but when they lose their meaning, that's where the problem comes in. So I want to explain to you this morning, just really quickly, before we actually get to the text, why we're going to do this. So, so why, I mean, isn't there a better way? Why are we going to take a year and some change just, just to go line by line all the way through a book? I've come up with five. I think there are tons more. But I want to begin this morning by telling you why we're going to study the book this way and why we're going to take a year as a church together to travel through this book together. I want to tell you why, okay? Again, I've come up with five. I think there's a lot more. Number one, it sets you up for a more comprehensive view of the Bible. It sets you up for a, a more all-encompassing, comprehensive view of God's word when we just exegetically, verse by verse, line by line, go straight through a book. Um, we, we've gone through John. Uh, we, we've gone through Ruth. We've gone through Jonah. We've gone through Ephesians. We've got, so, so what we've done is we've set you up to see a, a big picture. Okay? So, so the Bible is 66 books and one story. Okay, what's that one story? That one story is redemption. Redemption, 
That if you want to summarize the whole Bible in one word, redemption. So, so when you're in Leviticus and you're reading about all of the rules and the laws and the sacrifices and all this, what is this about? Like, why are they killing animals? This is so weird. What are they doing? You can say it's about redemption. That the animal that dies in Leviticus is a foreshadow of Jesus who comes to die on the cross. It's one story. 66 books, one story. So by traveling through books of the Bible exegetically as a church, what it does is it gives all of us a more comprehensive or big picture view of the Bible. Not, not to say, well, all that. I mean, who needs all that Old Testament stuff anyway? Let's just skip to the books that we like. Our heart is to have a comprehensive, meta-narrative, big-picture view of God's Word. And in order to do that, we preach through books of the Bible this way. Number two, it creates an environment of spiritual growth through study and conversations. Okay? It, it creates an environment of spiritual growth. We, we think this is the best way for you to grow spiritually. It creates an environment of spiritual growth through study and conversations. So you guys know exactly what we're, I'm going to be preaching for the next year. You know what I'm going to be doing. Okay, so I'm going to go through wherever I leave off today. Okay, I'm going three verses today. Next week, I'm picking up at verse four. Okay, that's what we're doing. So it gives you an opportunity to read ahead, to study ahead. You can go buy commentaries from, go to the Christian bookstore and buy commentaries on Acts. Look up, study the book of Acts. You and your wife or you and your friend can get together and start reading Acts, talking about Acts. Fathers, you can lead your family through the book of Acts as we together as a church are going through the book of Acts. You can go to your community group and what your community group's going to be talking about the book of Acts. Okay, you see where I'm going with this? So what it does is it creates a, 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 an environment of spiritual growth through study. It gives you an opportunity to read ahead, which I hope and pray you're reading ahead, reading through the book of Acts as we're going to be doing this, and through conversations with your wife and with your community group and with other members in the church. So that, that's why we do this, okay? Number three, it saves the people saves you guys, it saves the people from the theological, social, or philosophical tendencies of the pastor, okay? I have certain things that if left to my own devices, I would just talk about those things all the time because I like to talk about them. Preaching exegetically through the Bible, what happens is I come to a text and whatever the topic of the text is, that's the topic I preach on. I, I don't get to pick the topics, and a lot of you said, amen, right? You're glad. You're glad I don't get to always pick the topics. Um, and so what that does is it forces us to face Bible texts that maybe we would stay away from because they might be uncomfortable or, or hard to understand, okay? In the, in the book of Acts, I'm gonna have to talk about spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, okay? It's stuff we don't wanna talk about, right? I'm gonna be forced to deal with those type of texts, um, and, and I'm not going to be able to pick the topic. And so it's better for you. It's better for me. That's why, that's why we do this. Number four, it's a visible act of submission to God's word by trusting in its sufficiency. This is a visible act of trusting in God's word to be sufficient. So I know every single week when I, okay, so again, this week I'm going one through three. When I go to section, to, to the next section where I start in verse four, when I get there, I know that it's God's word and that there's gonna be something in the text that I'm, I'm gonna get excited about and I can bring it to you. 
It's a visible sign or visible act of submission that us as a church saying all of God's word is profitable so we don't have to skip forward to a text that's got something good for us. You guys can come every single week knowing we're going straight through the book of the Bible and I know when I show up on Sunday, God's word has something to say to me today. You can trust that. We can know it. Now listen, that's so hard for me. That, that's really difficult. Sometimes I'll read the passage that I got to preach on and I go, oh man, come on, Lord. You're going to have to give me something here because I just don't see it. But then I read it again and I read it again and I study and read again and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will just open something up for me and I go, thank, yes, thank you. It's there. It's there. So, what that means for you is that every single Sunday, you can come expecting God to speak to you through his word. You can come ready to drink. You can come ready to, listen, that doesn't mean my sermon is going to be awesome every week, okay? But what that means is God's word is awesome every week. So, <clears throat> number five. We believe that the Holy Spirit loves to change hearts, listen, through the application of his word, so we want to give them as much of it as we can in our services. Why do we preach straight through books of the Bible? Because the Holy Spirit loves to take the word of God and change hearts and change lives with it. So in our services, we want to go, okay, let's just pack it full of as much Bible as we can get. So what, what did we do before, but before the intro video played and I came up? We said, okay, stand for the reading of God's word. We stand in reverence to show this is God's word and we believe it. We stand in honor of God's word. That word is read and then at the end of it, we always tell the people who's reading the word to say, this is the word of God. That's intentional. We're doing that intentionally. And then I come up on the stage and I'm going to reread the text and just read it and walk through it. We're going Bible, Bible, but we're trying to just get as much Bible out there because we believe the Holy Spirit is going to take that, use it to change your life, okay? Now, the Holy Spirit is going to do what he's going to do, but we're responsible to set him up and create an environment to where he can come in, use the word, and change your life, okay? So for that, that reason, for those reasons, and many more, um, we teach straight through books of the Bible. Again, it's not the only way to do it. There are other God-honoring ways to teach. That's the way we do it here. We believe it's best and right for, for us as a church. So, so that's what we're gonna do, and that's why we're doing it. Does that make sense? It's important for you guys to know this, okay? You guys still with me? Okay, it's important for you to know this. So let's take a look at verses one through three um, and, and then just in, in an introductory way, let's, we're just gonna ask a bunch of questions about the book, about the, the text, um, and, and, and look at what God's word has to say to us today. Here's what it says in verses one through three. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, 
Um, why did God inspire the, the man Luke to write this book? Why did he write it? What is it here for? Well, his primary purpose was to provide an account of the beginnings of the Christian church in order to strengthen the reader's faith. He's wanting to show um, how the Christian church got here. It's a transitional book. We see Jesus, his life, his ministry. He's going around preaching, teaching. People are getting saved. He goes to the cross. He dies. He resurrects. He ascends into heaven. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of people are getting together and singing songs. Okay, what's up with that? How did, how did that transition happen? That's what Luke is seeking to do. He's seeking to show us the, the transition between the, the disciples standing there, he ascends into heaven, and they go, what are we supposed to do now? And, and so he shows what they did next. That, that's what Acts is is all about. It's about the transition from God loving and serving the world through the Jewish people, transitioning to serving and loving the world through the church, which included Jewish people, and now also includes Gentile people, non-Jewish people. That, that's what the purpose is. He's wanting to show that. Acts flows irresistibly out of the gospel, Okay, so Jesus comes, lives, dies, resurrects, ascends, and the natural flow out of that was the birth of the church, which spread all throughout the Roman Empire and all throughout the world. People heralding, Jesus has come, Jesus has died, Jesus is alive, there is hope, there is joy, there is real reason to live. Let's, let's get together and celebrate together and then go out and live a life for Jesus. That's the natural outflow of what Jesus had lived and done. So it says in verse 1, in the first book, what book? Well, the book of Luke. So there is a, a guy, he was a doctor and historian. His name was Luke. He authors the gospel of Luke and he authors the book of Acts. Um, some commentators will call it Luke-Acts. It is one book, two parts. Okay, so when, when we look in our Bible, the way it's split up is you got Luke, John. There's not supposed to be a divide there. There, there is because they're, they're paired together by style of writing. So they put all the gospels together. They put all the epistles together. So, so they are separate. But when he sat down, when Luke sat down to pen them, he, he wrote them as one book just in, in two parts. Okay, so he writes um, the, the gospel of Luke and he also writes Acts. So he writes it to this guy named Theophilus. In the first book, okay, so in, when I wrote Luke, oh, Theophilus, um, his name, th this name means lover of God or loved by God. It's very interesting um, that the other book, Luke, was also um, attributed to him. Uh, there's lots of speculation here about this. Uh, two quick things. One, Theophilus could have been um, a, a rich noble guy who actually hired Luke, who was a medical doctor and a historian, to write down all this stuff and document it for him. So Theophilus, he's got money. He comes to Luke and says, hey, I'm very curious about all this stuff. Or, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus. What I want you to do is I want you to go investigate, ask people questions, write all of it down. And Luke says, Theophilus, you got it. Another option is Theophilus could have been a skeptic. 
Luke, still being a, a medical doctor and historian, loves his lost friend Theophilus, you know, and, and, and wants him to um, know all of this stuff about Jesus. We don't know. Either way, I think this is what makes the Bible totally incredible, okay? So, uh, uh, John, one of my favorite gospels, okay? John, what he does is he's Jesus' best friend, and his account is from the perspective of, I'm Jesus' best friend, Okay, nobody knows the intimate details of Jesus' life like the Apostle John. And so that's his account. It's this personal account of the life of Jesus. Even when when Jesus is on the cross and he dies and he knows he's not going to be there to take care of his mom, he hands the care of his mom off to his best friend, John. And so that's this, this intimate account. But some people would say, well, they're best friends. How reliable can John's account be? Well, I think very reliable. But what's amazing about the Bible is that it also gives you this other account, Luke, who is a medical doctor and historian who goes and interviews people and objectively writes down the evidence that he finds about this man, Jesus. Okay, Here's just another amazing fact. When you read Luke's gospel account, where does he get all of the information about the birth of Jesus? Well, because he went to Mary sat down with his parchment and his paper and says, tell me the story, and writes it down. And he goes to the next person, and he goes to the next person, and the next person, and writes all of this stuff down. This is so incredibly amazing, okay? Um, now, in the early 1900s, there was a Scottish archaeologist whose name was William Ramsey, okay? Now, I want you to listen to this guy's resume, okay? This Scottish archaeologist whose name William Ramsey he was appointed the Regis Professor of Humanity, the Latin professor at the College of Aberdeen. He was knighted. That's pretty awesome. He was knighted in 1906 to mark his distinguished service to the world of scholarship. Ramsey also gained three honorary fellowships from Oxford and nine honorary doctorates from the British Continental and North American universities and became an honorary member of almost every association devoted to archaeology and historical research. Okay? Pretty impressive resume from this guy, William Ramsey. Here's what he does. He sets out to put Luke on trial. You see, in the early 1900s, very little was known about the cities in, in, in the ancient world. And so what, what Ramsey thought was, there's no way that Acts account can be right because there's city structure, there's government, the stuff that's in there, there's political leaders. And what Ramsey says, I read the book of Acts and there's no way that could be right. And so this guy with more degrees than Fahrenheit sets out to prove Luke wrong. Now, here's the problem. After a lifetime of study, here is what Ramsey concludes. Further studies showed that the book of Acts could bear the most minute scrutiny as an author for the facts of the Aegean world, and that it was written with such judgment, skill, art, and perception of truth as to be a model of historical statement. All of the cities that, that Luke travels to, all of the political climates that he records, all of the government leaders' names, as this guy, William Ramsey, is, is, is investigating all this stuff, he finds it to be true, okay? This book is incredible, and the reason I'm belaboring this point is because that's what he's pointing to in these first three verses. It's true, and we can believe it, okay? So, 
That's the purpose of why he's writing it. He's writing it so that we can be sure, okay? But what's it about? What's this book about? Acts is about God at work in the world through his people. Acts is about God at work in the world through his people. It's about the continuing work of Jesus, okay? Look, look back at verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began. Began, okay? So I wrote the other book about what Jesus began to do. I'm writing this book about what Jesus is continuing to do. Jesus is alive. Jesus is working. He's, he's doing stuff today. That's exciting. That, that's why I'm so excited about the church because Jesus is continuing to do his work. In our words, a gospel community church, this means that we are a church on mission. Okay? When, when we say mission, it means to, to know the culture or to learn the culture, to reach the culture with the gospel and make disciples. Okay, so when we say we're a church on mission, we mean we want to learn the culture, we want to learn about the people around us so that we can reach them with the gospel so that they might be saved and be made into disciples. That's what we say when we say mission. That's what the book of Acts is about. They learn the culture to reach the culture with the gospel. They made disciples through planting churches. That's the book of Acts. That, that's what we're all about here today too. We're a part of a church planting network called Acts 29. Okay? Now, if you look in the back of the book of Acts, there's only 28 chapters. So why such the silly name? Because we believe that Jesus is still at work. Okay? That, that his work is still being continued. Jesus is still alive. Okay? Muhammad is no longer on mission. Buddha is no longer on mission. Jesus is still on mission through his people and through his church. So we have a purpose. We have a reason to live. You guys aren't excited about it as I am. <clears throat> so, in the first three verses, Luke wants to begin with the foundation for the mission. Okay, so what's the mission? Again, the mission is to learn the culture, to learn the people around us so that we can, not to be like them, okay, but we want to learn them so that we can reach them with the gospel, so that they might be saved and become disciples, so that we might plant churches. That's the mission. That, that, that's what happens all throughout the book of Acts. We're, we're going to see church planting story after church planting story. So what's the foundation for that mission? I think, I think he begins by setting it up and, and giving us three pillars of a foundation or, or a theological infrastructure for the mission. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I, I want to give you those three key foundational pieces that, that I see here in verses one through three. Okay. Let's read it again. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's already beginning laying the foundation for the mission of the church. All that Jesus began to do and teach. That's the foundation for the mission, what Jesus began to do and teach. So what did Jesus do and teach? I'm glad you guys asked. What did he teach? Well, he, man, he taught a lot of stuff, didn't he? 
Uh, he taught about divorce. He taught about money. He taught about heaven. He taught about hell. He covered a lot of topics. So how do we boil down what it was that Jesus taught? Well, I think you can say it this way. If you had to boil down everything that Jesus taught and said, I think you could say this. Jesus taught that he was the solution to man's problem. Jesus taught, if you boil it all down into one thing, if you gave, all, if you gave Jesus all of his sermons in one sentence, okay? Man has a problem, I'm the solution, okay? He, here, he, he said it in, in ways like this. If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Meaning the problem is you're a slave to your sin, but if I set you free, you will be free indeed. But everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So what's your problem? Well, the problem is sin, and I'm the solution. Jesus said this, I am the bread. Okay, well, what's the problem with humanity? Well, we have a hunger in our souls that seemingly just can never be filled. Jesus says, I can fill it. He says, I'm the light. Why does he say that? Well, because as humans, we wander around groping and grasping at meaning in the dark. And he says, well, I'm the light. I'm the water. Why? Because our souls are thirsty. Is that making sense? So, so if we boil Jesus' teachings down, we could say what he's saying is, um, you guys have a problem and I'm the solution. Okay. He says this, I came to seek and save the lost. I came to seek and save. Why did he have to come and seek? Because we could not find him. So he had to come after us. He had to come seek us and he had to save us. Why did he have to save us? Because we were lost. So Jesus' teaching is you have a problem. What's your problem? The problem is sin. Guess what? I'm the solution. That's Jesus' teaching. That's what he taught. So all that Jesus began to, to do and teach. Well, that's what he taught. What did he do? What did he do? Well, he did what he taught he was. He, he did what he taught he was. I'm the solution. Now I'm going to show you that I'm the solution. How did he show us that he was the solution? Glad you asked. He lived a sinless life. Meaning he, he never sinned. He, he was the perfect example of obedience and he lived the life that we all are demanded to live. Okay? The, the Bible calls us to a life of perfection. The problem is the Bible also says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus comes and he lives that. That's what he does. He lives that perfect life and then he goes to the cross to die a substitutionary death for you. So when you look at the cross, you say, that should be me up there. But it's not. Jesus went there for me. That, that's the, the doctrinal term, substitutionary atonement. Okay? Jesus dies for us. And the righteousness that he earned during his life is now given to us or imputed to you. So that if you're a believer in Christ, when Jesus looks at you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see what you did last week, what you did last night, what you drank, what you smoked, what you said. He sees his glorious, righteous, holy son in you. That's the good news. That's the good news. So what did Jesus teach? You got a problem. I'm the solution. What did he do? Well, he went to the cross. He lived a perfect life went to the cross. So that's the foundation for the mission. Our, our mission is to herald that great news. 
okay? You're a sinner, but guess what? You can be saved. You can be seen in the eyes of God as holy, righteous, and good. That's the foundation for the mission. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach, so now we know that part, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. Number two, or the second foundation for the mission is this, the many proofs of the resurrection. What's the foundation for the mission? What's the foundation to go and and see the whole world changed by the gospel? Well, the foundation is what Jesus began to do and teach and the many proofs for his resurrection. Let's take a look at Luke 24, verses 36 through 43. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. At this point in Luke, Jesus has died and he has resurrected and now he shows up. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do your doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when they had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were, they, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Okay? A foundation for the mission, meaning for us to go out and tell the world Jesus is alive, that they're sinners, that the hope is they can be saved, to see them become disciples and to plant churches, is all that, we, all that Jesus began to do and teach, and the truth that Jesus is alive. What does he do here? He shows up. Listen, he didn't have to show up. He could have resurrected and then just not turned up, just gone on up to heaven and, and, and with a voice shouted down, hey, fellas, I'm alive. But he doesn't do that. He appears to them to show them the many proofs, the many infallible proofs that he's alive. See, I'm here. Well, they can't believe it. You're a spirit. Well, I'm not a spirit. Go ahead, touch my hand. Spirits don't have flesh and bones like I do. Go ahead. So they, they touched him. And then just to add more proofs to it, he says, all right, I'll show you. You got something to eat? Okay, ghosts don't eat stuff. Give me some fish. So he ate to show them or to prove to them that he really was alive. And then after that, guess what he does? He hangs around for 40 days. Why does he hang around for 40 days? Because they needed 40 days of convincing. Even here, he shows up and it says they disbelieved for joy and marveling. They dis- I mean, he's standing right there. They're poking at him, and they still can't believe it. So he says, well, guess I'm hanging around for 40 days so that you guys will be sure I'm alive. So he hangs around for 40 days so that they're sure he's alive. Now, what that means for us is this. We need to be certain of gospel truths before we can be effective with the gospel. The more convinced you are of the gospel, the more confident you are in the gospel, the more likely you are to share the gospel. 
Okay? Now listen, I'm not saying you have to be a master apologist like William Lane Craig or Ravi Zacharias, okay? that, that you have to know the ontological argument and the, the teleological argument and, and all the technical stuff, but you need to be sure of the facts of the gospel. Jesus was a real man who showed up. He lived the life I could not live. He died the death I should have died in my place for my sins. The only way to heaven, the only way to be saved is through Jesus. You need to believe and repent. If you're certain of those facts, you can grow confident in them. And listen, evangelism becomes overflow. That's the problem, I think, with so many people who are like, I just can't seem to share my faith. Well, because it hasn't totally consumed you and you're not just so convinced of it. Because when you get totally consumed by the gospel and when you're just 100% convinced by the gospel, you can't help share your faith. It just flows out of you to just tell people how awesome Jesus is. Amen? So, the foundation for the mission is, number one, what Jesus began to do and teach. Number two, the many proofs of the resurrection. And number three, the preaching of the kingdom of God. Look back at Acts, verse three. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay. Um, verse three summarizes what he was talking about for those 40 days. So, so he resurrects, he hangs out with them, he appears to them for those 40 days. What was he talking about? Like, wouldn't you just love to have been there? Right, just to be led through a Bible study by Jesus for 40 days. What was he talking about? Well, he was speaking about the kingdom. The, the kingdom of God. Okay, so what's that? Three things or three ideas I, I want to convey this morning about the kingdom of God. It was a rule and not a realm when he is teaching about the kingdom of God, he wants them to know that the kingdom of God is a rule. It's a rule, not a realm. Okay, so here's the definition for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where his people serve him because they love him and where things are restored to their original order. That's the kingdom of God. Okay, so, so it's not a place. It's not a spatial place as of right now, but the kingdom of God, what Jesus was speaking of there is not a realm, but it is a rule. It is where Jesus rules and reigns over the hearts of his people and his, his people love and serve him out of love for him and where things began to be restored back to their original order, that's the kingdom of God. He had to teach them this because their view of the kingdom of God was way too small. What they were wanting Jesus to do was to come back with the sword, overthrow the Roman rule, and set up a cool palace, right? And they're Jesus' buddies, so they probably get to stay in the palace, right? So, so they wanted Jesus to come back, overthrow the Romans, set up his cool palace. They would get to hang out in the palace, and that would be the kingdom of God. The problem is their view of the kingdom of God was way too small. The kingdom of God is here and now. Amen? 
The kingdom of God is here and now. It's wherever the hearts of people or it's wherever the heartbeat of a church or another organization says, Jesus, whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. We are yours and we want to love you and serve you. That's the outworking of the kingdom of God. And where things are set back up into their original order. That's the outworking of the kingdom of God. Okay, so um, Saturday, one of our community groups was at a shabby, nasty, dirty, old playground. Um, And what our community group did was paint it, um, put new slides up, new basketball goals. They, They restored it back to what God had intended for it to be. That is the restoration of things broken and torn up. That's the coming of the kingdom, amen? That's what Jesus was teaching them about. Now listen, it's not, it's not a realm, but it's where people say, yes, we wanna love you, Jesus. Yes, we wanna serve you, Jesus. And it's where all the things that are broken are put back together and made right. And that is now and here, and the kingdom of God is here and now, right? So, in addition, if he's speaking about the kingdom of God, If there's a kingdom, there has to be a king. So what he did in those 40 days is to go all the way back to the Old Testament and lead them all the way through the Old Testament and show them how he was the ruling, reigning king of God's kingdom. And it probably went something like this. Jesus is the better Adam. He passes the test in the garden and his righteousness is given to us. Jesus is the better Isaac. Jesus was not just offered but was really sacrificed for the sins of God's people. Jesus is the better Joseph who was also stood at the right hand of power and forgave his brothers who betrayed him. Jesus is the better Jonah who did not come out of the whale after three days but came out of the tomb. Jesus is the better Boaz who is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is the better prophet. Jesus is the better prophet priest. Jesus is the better king. Jesus is the better sacrifice, temple, bread, and shepherd. A kingdom has a king, and Jesus is king. So that's what he taught them for 40 days. Listen, guys, it's not about a realm, but it's about a rule. It's where, it's where people are loving and serving me. And, and you see, if there's a rule, then there has to be a ruler. If there's a kingdom, there has to be a kingdom, and I'm the king. And lastly, speaking about the kingdom, Jesus might have taught them that it has been inaugurated, but not consummated. So I just said, the kingdom is here and now. God's kingdom has been inaugurated. People can love and serve him and bow the knee to the rulership of King Jesus and things that are broken and messed up can be restored back to their original order but there is an already to the kingdom of God and there is a not yet to the kingdom of God. It's been inaugurated but not consummated. It's already and not yet meaning that Has all sin, shame, brokenness, and pain been eradicated from the world? Well, no. Has a lot of it? Yes, because of the cross of Christ. But it's not all there yet. He's not done. He's still working. His kingdom was ushered in on the cross, but it's not fully completed yet. Inaugurated, not consummated. Already, but not yet. So, one day, my friends, it will be. He will come to complete his work. One day, all the broken things will be restored. 
your broken relationships, your broken marriages, the, the things that hurt deep within inside your soul, the loneliness, the emptiness, the hopelessness, all will go away and all tears will be dried from our eyes and the consummation of the kingdom will rule and reign. Do you see how that is one of the most amazing foundations for mission that there is? That we can know what Jesus began to do and teach and that makes us wanna go out there and tell people what Jesus did and what he taught. That, that there's so much more than, than, than what this world has to offer. We can tell them about Jesus, that we can tell them that he's alive, that he showed himself to be alive by many proofs, that 500 people at one time saw him, that the tomb is empty, that he's alive, that that gives us a foundation for this great mission, and that one day Jesus will come to fully institute his kingdom rule and reign, and all sin, all shame, all pain, all that stuff will be wiped away, and there's a part of it here and now. It's already not yet. That's the foundation for the book of Acts. So what we're gonna see is the build out of Jesus continuing to work. If you've come here today and you feel like, why am I here? What's the, what's the point, right? Because God has work for you to do. The, the book of Acts is a testament of God working through his people and seeing them execute kingdom realities. And so what God's plan for you is for you to do his work. He, he wants you to do his work in seeing people's lives change and seeing people get saved and become disciples and plant more churches. That's what he wants you to do. If he didn't want you to do that, as soon as you got saved, he just would have taken you up to heaven right then. But he didn't do that. If you're a believer and you're here, you have a purpose, you have meaning, and there's stuff for you to do. So let's get to work, Gospel Community Church. But let's see people saved. Don't, don't you want to see people saved? Don't, don't you want to see this room filled up with, with people who don't know him or are far from him? Don't you want to see them growing closer in a relationship with him? Don't you want to see us plant more churches? Don't you want to see us follow in the footsteps of Acts? Man, I do. A couple application points and I'm out of your hair. Number one, read the book of Acts. As we're going through this study, as we're studying the book of Acts, great application point. Read it. Read it. Read it all the way through. Read it all the way through again. Read it all the way through again. Read it like whatever, whatever section we're going through. Like, like start on Monday and read it and then read again on Tuesday. Read again on Wednesday. Read it on Saturday with your family before you come to church and prepare your heart to worship and to hear God's word. It's a, it's a great application point for us today is to continually be reading the book of Acts. Number two, be faithful to attend community groups so that you can discuss it and be on mission. It's next to impossible, it's not impossible, it's next to impossible to, to live on mission in Gospel Community Church without being in a community group. Now I guess you could just hear us talk about the dates of when community groups are gonna be doing cool stuff and just show up. So that's why I say it's not impossible and we wouldn't kick you out by any means. But what I'm saying is it's next to impossible to live the life Jesus wants you to live if you're not in a community group. Amen? So a great way as we're talking about a book that is about Christians living out God's mission, 
a, a great application point is to get in a community group so you can actually do that. That's how we facilitate that here at church, okay? At, at this church, we facilitate living a life on mission. We facilitate that through the groups that meet in homes throughout the week, okay? Number three, be faithful to attend Sunday services so that you can hear the preaching of Acts. And if you miss it, download the podcast, okay? We have a podcast. You can go online, download the podcast, and, and stay in step with us as we walk through this book. I want you to leave encouraged today because Jesus is continuing the work that he began. And he's calling you. Listen, this is what Jesus, you want to know what God is saying to you this morning? He's saying, come on, come on, there's work to be done. I'm going to do it with you. I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Come on, there's work to be done. And I'm going to do it with you. Come on. That's what Jesus is saying to us this morning. So I want you to leave encouraged knowing there's purpose, there's work to be done. Jesus is doing it with us. Let's go out there. Let's share the gospel. Let's see people saved, make disciples, and plant churches. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this great book. Thank you for a people who are um, eager um, to, to study it, a, a people who are eager to, to get down into the text and read it and learn it and memorize it and know it and apply it to our lives. Uh, Father, I pray for um, this study as we go through. Would you just, in a really sweet way, send your powerful Holy Spirit to lead us through it, that it would not be my words, but it would be your words, that you would get me out of the way um, that, that you would speak to your people through this great book, that you would speak to us. Uh, God, help us to walk in the footsteps. God, Acts is not a, a picture of a perfect church. It's a picture of a broken church, uh, but, it, but it's a, a picture of a church on mission, and that's what we wanna be. And so, uh, Father, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to empower that work um, through Gospel Community Church. Uh, God, I pray that through this study, people are saved. I pray that through this study, people become members of the church. I pray that through this study, people get connected to a community group. I pray that through this study, people become closer followers of you. Again, we thank you for this great book, and we're so, so eager uh, to, to walk through it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this book. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen.